Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today my guest is a dear friend and colleague, Dr. Petra Davilar. We're going to be talking about deutonomics to the next level, and Dr. Davilar is a naturopathic doctor who specializes in deutonomics. She keeps me up to date on this really emerging field of science, and deutonomics is a new era in science that explores how hydrogen moves through water and other intermediates inside our body. Essentially, humans are electric beings of water fueled by light. Dr. Javilar completed her naturopathic medical training at Bastyr University and certified in functional medicine and nutrition. So to learn more about deutonomics after this conversation, please check out her website, which will be in the show notes. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. Dr. Javilar has been at the cutting edge of deutonomics and how you can really apply this to your health and to your recovery from any chronic illness. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Schaffner, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Petra Davilar. And we're going to be talking about deutonomics. And she's been on the podcast and in my community talking about this topic, but we're going to take it to the next level because what I admire most Many things I admire about Dr. Petra is her passion for research and evolving her framework and her knowledge so we can help more and more people. So welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thank you so much. It's absolutely my pleasure to be giving you the latest information that we have our our fingers on. So yes, let's do it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And if you're a patient or in my community, you probably maybe already know Dr. Petra. You know, I deal with a lot of complexity and I deal with a lot of hard cases, but every now and then I see labs where I'm like, I don't even know where to start. Like iron is off, copper is off, you know, zinc. There's like some like very like interesting, strange picture that I'm like, I'm just going to have you consult (laughs) with my dear friend because she is a master at this. And so I just want to give you that shout out because I really, you know, consider you part of my team for patient care and you're amazing work. So yeah. Okay. So we're going to talk about deutonomics and you've been like way ahead of the curve with this topic, you know, ever since I've known you, you have just been on this and have felt like this is just really a foundational piece of why we see the chronic um, illnesses and the cancers and the mitochondrial Mm -hmm. function of our time. And people are catching on, right? There's a whole school of thought around quantum biology that they're starting to talk about it. People in the cancer world are starting to talk about it. Patients are even talking to me about it. So the education's getting there, but we still have a long way to go. So why don't we just kind of set the stage? And I think let's start with the idea and concept of hydrogen and the role of hydrogen in our bodies and in our environment. And let's just start there before we get into deuterium and deuteronomics. So, so hydrogen is actually the most common and active form in our system, in our bodies. It makes chemical bonds. It especially uh, is important for any structural um, proteins. And of course, it powers the electrons in mitochondria. Our food carries the hydrogens that make all these processes happen. So that's the hydrogen that comes from our food that actually produces our metabolic water or our matrix water. The quality of the hydrogens determines the quality and quantity of that metabolic water that we constantly produce. And therefore, it determines the efficiency of our metabolism. 
So it determines our state of health, our, our ability to concentrate, our cognitive abilities, our sleep, our ability to perform, you know, in sports or in any other way. So it, it, it's really the ultimate to, to how our body functions. And so hydrogen is a molecule that if you remove the electron, you get a positive charge. And then we call this hydrogen ion a proton. So I will use those interchangeable, but just so you understand that they are the same thing, except that the um, electron has been removed. So that's part of this whole process. So uh, I want to quote the Hungarian Nobel Prize winner, Albert St. Georgi, who said famously, life is about cycling protons. And the more effectively they move, the more efficient our bodies function. And you know, many people who listen to the podcast know that I love talking about quantum physics and also, you know, the communication networks in the body and, you know, the lymphatic highways and the fascial yep. network and obviously our nervous system. And, you know, why I'm so passionate about that is because, you know, a big job, you know, there are many jobs of these networks, but they're shuttling protons around the body. And in, in my understanding, would you, would you agree? Uh, yes. I mean, um, protons move generally through tunneling and it's basically crossing these energy barriers, right, in, in a way. And when deuterium is part of that, that, that basically stops the whole process. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. why this is so important for all parts of the body tissues and fluids. And yes, definitely also the lymphatics. Sorry, I just want to tease out one point because this metabolic water might be a new term for people. Okay. And then, you know, some people have heard us talk about the plasma form of water in the cell and, you know, also the interstitial fluid that bathes the cell. And so where does metabolic water fit in those conversations? The metabolic is the water. Metabolic water is the water that we produce inside of mitochondria in complex four, where hydrogen and oxygen, or the protons and oxygen, come together in this very controlled, explosive process where it forms metabolic water. And if we consume foods that are low in deuterium, this water will be deuterium depleted. And this is this water that then is used in the TCA cycle for all of these water exchange reactions to make sure that we perform this complete biological oxidation of all of the foods that we consume. And so this water is also, once it gets out of the cell, it's, it's also interfacial water, if you will. And that's crucial to be low in deuterium so that the energy transfer and the information transfer that happens between two between cells goes as fluid as possible. Yeah. And that's, you know, really aligned with how I've been trained and how, you know, I, I treat people and that, you know, bringing it back to the macro, it's like when people are sick, it's really complicated, but there's some elegance and simplicity. And it's like the more that we have that, you know, this beautiful water that we generate that the there's, you know, movement and not congestion and stagnation between yeah. the cells. And the yeah. cells communicate, the cells can take out their trash, they can deliver and receive, you know, the exchange of all the things that are in the um, extracellular space. And so it's, this is like a really, really like, you know, this, we understand this macro, but this is like the micro of what's happening <laughs> to make all of that smooth. And so I just wanted to give people that 
context and how, why this is so, so important for our, our understanding. I, I want to add this piece is that, you know, in 2021, the team by Frankel, Pinter, and colleagues from NASA and Georgia Tech, they published a paper called Water and Life, the Medium is the Message, right? And mm-hmm. so they describe four really important points about water. And the first one is that they say that the, they define water as the chemical cornerstone of all biological processes. Mm-hmm. And that really, you know, sometimes it's assumed to be an inert solvent. It never is. It's just mm-hmm. that's not that's not at all the possibility. And they call it the most frequent and dominant chemical actor in metabolism. And it's frequently and repeatedly not just the substrate, the starting substance, but also the intermediate, the cofactor, and the product. And mm-hmm. so at least one third to a half of all the biochemical reactions involve involve the consumption or the production of water. So it, it's, yeah, it's just, it's foundational basically to health. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I am going to read that paper. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to write that down after this podcast recording. So Dr. Petra, tell us about deuterium. So you've alluded to it. So we know yeah. the importance of this shuttling of protons, this metabolic water, but you know, what's yeah. the deal? Deuterium. Yeah, so so hydrogen has what's known as a stable isotope. And that just means it's another form of the exact same atom that the difference is that it carries a neutron. Now, deuterium is actually a very unusual, very unique isotope because if we would compare that to, let's say, carbon, carbon has a molar mass of 12 and the stable isotope of carbon is 13. So that means the molar mass is 13. So that's only an 8% difference in weight, right? But in hydrogen and deuterium, it is 100% difference. Right. So this is why it got its own name. It's it's that important. It's that significant. So this changes a lot of properties of a protein or a bond if deuterium is is attached to it, a deuteron rather than a hydrogen or a proton. So you can think of it. So if if the bond to break a bond when deuterium is attached to it, it takes eight to fifteen times more energy to separate it. So this slows down reactions or does not make reactions happen at all. So that's the significance of it. And so that became clear over the last few decades. And then in 2019, Dr. Lazo Bolosh initiated and, and came up with the name of deuteronomics to make this, establish this as its own field of science that needs to be incorporated in all approaches to medical, you know, practice and, and Hi, everyone. It's Dr. Christine Schaffner. And for being part of my podcast community, I wanted to give you a very special gift. The code SPECTRUM40 to use at the apothecarystore.com for my product, my signature product, a lymphatic drainage cream called Lymphlo. Lymphlo is a staple in all of my patient protocols, and it was formulated to use topically on the neck to help assist the lymphatic system in draining the brain. It has a plethora of other uses from treating your scars, to helping reduce pain and inflammation, to helping to support your liver, your kidneys, or bring blood flow circulation and lymphatic drainage wherever lymph flow is applied. So please check out the code SPECTRUM40 and use at apothecary with an I, store.com 
All the information is on the show notes. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of the podcast. So you mentioned like if we eat foods that are lower in deuterium, this water within us is going to be lower. But why are like, how are we exposed to deuterium? Like how, how is the body getting, you know, overloaded with deuterium right now? Yeah. Well, there's a various, various reasons, but the, the, a really big one is that it, the levels have steadily increased in our foods due to the way we produce foods, the way we grow our foods, the way we consume and we're, you know, we've gotten so used to using processed foods and they are much higher in deuterium. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, why processed foods are so bad for you, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's, that is the reason. And then uh, there's also a whole other piece to it, which is we've been, the last 20 years or so, we've been told that we need to hydrate and drink and drink and drink. And the truth is, water is actually quite high in deuterium. So if you are drinking lots of, water, you are deuterium loading. And so this has major consequences. And mm-hmm. that's not necessarily what you want to do because a lot of these recommendations are coming from people that A, are stand to gain, you know, money from it because it's the water production. It's the largest growing section of the beverage industry, actually. Mm-hmm. But these individuals also are not aware of the fact that we produce our own metabolic water. And mm-hmm. the more we take in from the outside, we actually slow that down. Mm-hmm. So the is coming in from all angles. And then at the same time, we're not practicing the same lifestyles way back when that helps us deplete or, or regulate, I should say, these excess levels that are coming in. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm just the comment, right? It's like when you are in this alternative space that we live in and, you know, this, all these different health trends that are always emerging, mm-hmm. you always think like the water thing is going to be stable, right? Like the health trends will come and go, but you can always rely on telling your patient to drink water. And even yeah. that you have to question, right? And so yeah. a lot of people are going to like, okay, wait, I maybe I feel better when I drink water or what about, you know, this conversation of flushing out toxicity or how do we, how do we navigate that? Like people, this is like when people were indoctrinated with fat free, right? And then yeah. they had to understand fats were okay. You know, so it's just like, this is a lot of, you know, cognitive rewiring to understand your relationship with water. So yeah. if you can just land there a little bit and, you know, share how you approach it with patients and, you know, your life and, you know, what, like what, how you recommend, you know, drinking water. Yeah, absolutely. So it's actually really interesting. In 2016, the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition published a study, um, a randomized trial to assess the potential difference that certain beverages have that affect hydration status. So they took 24 healthy young men and they asked them to stop drinking at a certain hour in the morning, like 8 a.m. or something, and then come at noon. And they were all given different beverages. So that included regular water, orange juice, Coca-Cola, low-fat milk, full-fat milk, an oral rehydration fluid. So that had lots of electrolytes or salt in it. And then they also got coffee, tea, cold and hot, and a sports drink. And so then they had to consume one liter of that over a period of 30 minutes. And at that point, they started collecting the amount of 
urine that they then excreted in, they, they had planned to, to collect it for four hours, but they stopped at the two hour mark because they found that at the two hour mark, six of those beverages that I just mentioned, um, the, the people that drank those had already excreted 1.4 liters of liquid, right? Mm. So you're actually causing a deficit in hydration. The only liquids that, that were able to not drop as low, and actually the best one was the oral rehydration fluid, but also mm. the whole fat milk, because of course that's also, it has some fat. So it's a slightly lower vegetarian beverage. So mm. these were the ones that didn't cause as a significant drop, but they still, you excreted as much as you took in. So this is very significant because ultimately this excess liquid liquid that you're taking in you're you're excreting it you're not actually hydrating yourself mm -hmm. so I, I think it's an important point to make the other part is that if you drink this much with no salt in it right that's mm -hmm. what most people do you change the osmolality in your blood and um you actually cause if you drink a lot of it slight swelling of all of your vasculature including your in your brain. And that then also affects your pituitary gland. And the pituitary gland is what releases antidiuretic hormone. But there is what's called a localization of release of the other hormones that are also stored in the pituitary gland. So that would be your gonadotropin releasing hormone or your thyroid hormones, oxytocin, all of those. And so they co-localize in release, but that doesn't happen anymore. You just shut down ADH, you shut down all the other hormones. So you're now also affecting all of that. So I advise my, my clients to really be guided by thirst. If they're thirsty, okay, maybe sit with it, wait five minutes, see what happens. Does your body compensate? Do you increase your own production of metabolic water? Did you have a meal that day that contained lots of fat so that you produce more water because we produce twice the amount of metabolic water from fat versus that of carbohydrates. So that's significant. And maybe you don't need to drink. Maybe you don't need to add that extra deuterium that moment and you can just, you know, let the body take over. And so that, that's how we talk about it. And then if you drink, then choose, you know, something that's salted or maybe a stock or maybe you would want a spring water that's generally lower than most U.S. Um, drinking water. Yeah. Such a, you know, again, different point of view, but very like brilliant when you break it down like that. And many of my patients have low antidiuretic hormone. I know we've talked about this before on these types of talks, but I think it's worth continuing to revisit. And I see the excessive thirst and the excessive urination. And, you know, you kind of like we were taught in this world, like, oh, that's part of the you know, biotoxin pathway and, you know, that's why that's happening and affecting the pituitary, but this seems a little bit more elegant and foundational. And, you know, a lot of our patients have dysregulation in the fluids of the body, right? Whether they have lymphatic congestion or excessive dehydration because they can't, you know, balance their, you know, uh, urine volume, um, low sodium because of, you know, maybe adrenal dysfunction, you know, so all of these things seem like, okay, all these different kind of systems are out of whack and, you know, mm -hmm. but it's mm -hmm. really this one 
thing that you're telling us about. You know, again, people, I know it's going to, you know, we have to continue to educate for them to take this into account. So like, do you have, again, thirst is going to be your guidance for people. But if they're excessively thirsty, how long does it take for them to like shift that? And I've seen you shift this um, with a couple of my patients who do have the low antidiuretic hormone and you get them on the depletion program and their ADH regulates and, you know, the cascade of hormones, of course, too. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, the best way to see the shift is how people will actually respond to making these changes. Um, yeah. measuring it sometimes can get tricky because the half-life of ADH is very short. So it really is also dependent yeah. on what you drank that morning or that hour before. So, so that, that does get complex, but, you know, finding relief in not needing to get up during the night, you know, several times or being able to do your errands or job without having interruptions all the time using the restroom. So those are the types of, signs that I look for if, if someone is actually making that shift and understanding that they actually don't need that much water, but they can get their hydration internally. And then, you know, we're all fans of electrolytes. I think that's pretty common knowledge. Now. Yeah. So there's a lot of yeah. ways to salt your water, which again, helps with absorption and, right. you know, giving your body, you know, more electrolytes to yeah. you know use and metabolic metabolism rather. And then what about, you know, again, maybe just comment there. There's two ideas before we go to a different topic that I want you to comment on since the water thing is so big is deuterium depleted water. And we've had these conversations before, but, you know, it's still very popular, the hydrogen water and the hydrogen tablets. And, you know, some people are here and you're like, oh, I need more protons, you know, so maybe, you know, ingesting more hydrogen. Like, how do you see those? Like we can break down one at a time because, but I, I think that would be good to cover um, in our water conversation here. Yeah. So the hydrogen water, it depends on how you obtain it. And, and mm-hmm. there's a few on the markets that produce at the same time hydrogen gas. I like to steer people away from the browns gas. That there are some toxins involved. This is not the appropriate way to do it. There are some hydrogen producing water and gas ones that don't have that toxic side effect to it. So I would prefer those. I think generally buying hydrogen water gets tricky because the second you open it up, it wants to be released. So, you know, that, that makes no sense to me. You either have to produce it at home and do it and drink it, and then you will feel it. There's no doubt about it. So there's that. I'm not sure how effective the, the hydrogen supplements are in, in, in tablet form. Part of us understands that how once we consume those, it gets into the bloodstream and it may actually form water there which we don't want it there we want it in other places so so i'm not sure how helpful those are although some people have reported benefit from it so i'm not going to argue with that yeah Yeah. great and then do you consider deuterium depleted water therapeutic water or a water that we should all be ingesting with you know navigating that conversation 
Yeah, so I think it depends on the PPM you're talking about. So yeah. I, I consider a wellness water that would be at 125 PPM to maybe 140. You know, those are, are much preferred. I think therapeutic levels of the germ-depleted water start at around 105, 100. And then you can take those lower depending upon the person's weight, the disease presentation, the amount of water consumed. and then kind of you know navigate around those factors to come up with mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that makes sense it's very important to always match it with food you can't just resolve all any of these yeah. complex issues with water alone it's not possible and i'm going to get back to the you know high fat and you know the material foods but can you harm yourself by drinking too low of a ppm too quickly like if you like, oh, just buy like light water and it's 25 ppm and start drinking that, not to just call that out, but you know, that brand out, but I'm just saying. So there is actually paper out that, that describes if you drink water below 50 ppm straight up, that can cause something which they call isotopic shock. So, you know, you feel it. I mean, I, I would just say, if you really want to know, it's not so dangerous, drink a glass and see what happens to you. Just do it straight up. I, I know of some person that did it one month entirely straight and initially felt incredible and then went downhill and actually had a drop in his ability to perform athletically and cognitively. So, it, you know, this is meant to really, you be gentle for it, but even a drop from normally drinking 150 going down to 105 or 100 is massive. It's a huge, yeah. huge drop. Mm-hmm. So it's not needed to go that low. And so if you get like, you know, let's just say that, you know, 10 to 15 ppm, you got to dilute it, right? You, know, you have so, to dilute it, yeah. But you're not supposed to just drink those. No. I see that happening. So I just wanted to. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of that at all. I think it should be sort of spread throughout your day. It's much better yeah. than to just quickly do a drop. No, yeah. I, you should just. I mean, you can, if you eat something that's high in deuterium and you want to drink something straight up with it, sure, you're compensating, but that's a different story. Yeah. Yeah. So how do people change their diet to have a low deuterium diet? So it really comes down to consuming foods that are low in deuterium. And then, you know, it's the power of the ketogenic diet, right? So high fat Fats are low in deuterium, as long as they are naturally derived, the purest, the best you can find. The lowest ones are animal protein derived Mm -hmm. or animal derived. And, you know, there's the coconut. That's the one other one that is quite low, uh, but all Mm -hmm. other vegetable oils are much higher. And you start there and then best quality proteins you can find. That would be the next important food group to focus on and then green vegetables which are generally lower due to the process of photosynthesis and really when you get beyond that then the grains level the fruits level the processed foods you just go up and up it comes to quality is key and seasonality you know eat where you live those foods not from another continent in another climate you know that makes sense yeah It's just, you know, we get to satisfy our scientific mind to understand, you know, why, you know, but nature leads us on most in the, you know, pay attention to nature seasons, you know, local food, you know, that whole movement is supporting 
this concept. So that is reassuring because a lot of people are starting to get that, right? So let's switch gears. So a lot of, you know, I, I think really since I've been practicing, there's this whole field of looking at our own genetics, looking at what we call single nucleotide polymorphism, seeing like the most common ones like MTHR, FR, right? So how we process folate. So that's what a lot of people understand um, when we talk about this conversation. And there are people who just look at people's genetics and try to manipulate, you know, lifestyle and supplement intake to optimize people's epigenetic expressions. But it's a bigger conversation. And so tell us about the Deuteronome project and how this whole field of deuteronomics plays into really epigenetics and, you know, what are you seeing and how do we have this new framework of understanding our genome? Yeah, thank you for that. That's a great question. So we've been, actually, Dr. Borosh has come up with this idea to explore what he calls the human deuteronome project. And so rather, we need to understand where in our body deuterium collects and for what reasons and how these processes take place and how we can regulate deuterium. That will be our you know, treatments, if you will, to figure out how to streamline that and to prevent disease. And so in 2021, Roman Zuboroff from the Karolinski Institute published this paper that was fascinating. It's called The Abnormal Hydroxyproline Deuterium Content That Redefines the Hydrogen Chemical Mass. So in this paper, he explored and they repeated the research because it was so significant and sent it to other universities. They found that the gray seal and the peregrine falcon had extremely high levels of deuterium in their collagen and way above the natural abundance anywhere. So that's extremely unusual. So I'm talking 315 ppm in the seal's mm -hmm. collagen. And of course, it's required for them to be able to dive really deep and withstand the pressure of the water and, and so forth. So they need this strength and, the, and the, the falcon makes these dives, you know, at a speed of 300 to 400 uh, miles per hour. And again, to, to achieve that speed and withstand the pressure and have that strength, it requires deuterium. So that, that's clear. And so we do too. We require deuterium for our bone and hydroxyproline both preferentially. And that's what Dr. Subra found in this paper, binds deuterium at much greater levels than any other amino acids. So that, of course, makes up our collagen, and collagen is one of the most abundant proteins in our body, and that's ultimately where we need to have this deuterium. But when things go awry, when we don't, you know, properly are able to complete the biological oxidation of all of the foods that we consume, the excess deuterium is going other places, and that's an issue I you know, for instance, cancers are hard. They have the deuterium in them that you can feel that and, and they are proline rich. And so they are collecting that. So ultimately, it is our future goals to identify the precise mechanisms by which we compartmentalize, we fractionate deuterium inside the body and how we can make sure that that happens efficiently. 
how are you applying this? I'm just thinking like clinically, like, is there a clinical bridge yet with testing or just symptoms or disease processes? Like how I, I love how, you know, bring the research into, you know, like clinical practice. I'm, I'm curious how you're working with that right now. Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest focus currently to make sense out of this information is osteoporosis and yeah. understanding that, which is so crucial. And so we need to understand how we make sure that the deuterium ends up in our bones and right. not in other places. And exactly how these processes happen, I'm not sure. We don't know that yet, but I I test, you know, my patients for their specific markers for bone metabolism and sometimes we have the DEXA scan and we can actually compare and um do you use you know, antelopeptide or do you use sometimes other? yeah sometimes it depends what we yeah. can do but yeah that, that's a nice one to look at and then I try to apply the nutrients that we know are actually helpful in depleting deuterium and are also useful for bone so there's certain plants that are great at that. So hesperidin is really good for bone and osteoporosis, as is resveratrol and some other plants. So I'm, I'm trying to stay away always from calcium. I don't think it's so confusing. Yeah. I'm just, I stay away for it. Like yeah, it's, it's, it's not a deficiency of calcium, osteoporosis. It's mineral imbalance and, and an inability to place the deuterium where we need to place it. I think those are much more important. And I think that would, you know, if you think about the typical female patient who's skinny, ate a fat-free diet, they they have osteoporosis, right? And they're classic. So do you use boron at all or? Yeah. Yeah. yeah boron. I do. Yeah. I do. You wonder if like these, like, you know, like these osteostrongs or vibration or PEMF or what you know, the weight bearing, like if that's actually a way for honing deuterium into the bones in some way, you know, like if that's why it, it's working, yeah. you know. I, I think that would help because you're putting, it's a very active tissue. People think bone right. is just, you know, a dead situation. Yeah. It needs to adjust. It needs to reassemble. And I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah. 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 That's exciting because I feel there's a, not a lot of great solutions out there, you know, for women, especially with severe osteoporosis. I sometimes think of like the, you know, obviously there's a hormonal component for some women, but that can be complicated depending on history. And then, you know, I've seen just that theme of when women start to break down their bone, if they've stored lead in their bones or other, you know, heavy metals through their lifetime, they start to release them. And then, you know, then they, you know, have to really clean up the metals. But, you know, again, I feel like these are like band-aids sometimes on, you know, these, these strategies. So I, I didn't know about this connection. Yeah, if you want to comment there before. Yeah. I mean, I really think we should look at as deuterium, the structural proteins are strengthened by deuterium, but yeah. the moving proteins are destroyed by it. Ooh. And so we need to really identify the mechanisms by which this happens. And that's going to take time, but it's very exciting that we now understand yeah. that actually what's going on. And, you know, as a side note, you know, even the the current RNA vaccines that are on the market have been modified to produce these recombinant spike proteins that have 
replaced two of the residues with proline. And this proline is providing that structure, that stability and the inability for this spike protein to be broken down. And and that's what the devastating Mm -hmm. part of it is. But again, you see the role of proline and the way it provides this structural piece that is very important. Yeah, Yeah, it's like it's kind of using this knowledge in a way that it's unfortunately, you know, using it against us. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I know that they realize that actually binds also deuterium and that it did all this. But yeah, when you look at that that data. And And that's where it's like the long-term consequences of these decisions. We just don't know. And that's why, you know, avoidance is always the best strategy. I mean, I was going to ask you also, you know, as we're wrapping up, like, how do you see like deuterium depletion and this whole kind of story of like long COVID or long haulers or people who are still weakened by all of these things? Have you seen in your practice there there's a relationship between deuterium depletion and recovering from these conditions? I think some of the cases are extremely difficult, and I think it very much depends on whether they received the injections and how many of them, and that all affects this. Uh, I think incorporating all of these strategies, there is no doubt in my mind that it would be beneficial. Ultimately, if your mitochondria are not working efficiently, again, you would cause this metabolic crowding and and that, you know, results from this incomplete biological oxidation of all of the foods that we consume. Mm-hmm. And then you get this backing up of, of proteins, any protein, the spike protein, you know, amyloid beta that will get stuck in your brain. You know, if your fats aren't processed, you are going to get them on your belly. You know, yeah. if glucose can't be going anywhere. It, it all rises. It all backs up. It all goes haywire. It needs to be stored somehow. So it gets pushed into cells or into tissues. And that's what's causing the problem. So lowering the burden on you will only help. So if you use a temperature-depleted water, if you use a ketogenic type diet of natural fats, that would be extremely beneficial because you would be able to start reversing some of these processes. We can only really perform in under extreme circumstances and conditions if we do it this way. You know, there's so many ways, the, the ways we produce energy, and this is another territory that we're also working on and exploring. I want to maybe end on that for you because it's so crucial, but the scenarios of energy production, we've all been told that it's only ATP, right? But actually what has been calculated is that the production of the metabolic water produces in the area of 280 kilojoule per mole, kilojoule per mole, I'm not saying it correctly, but in fact, the reaction of creating of this metabolic water, this provides the most energy in mitochondria, releasing 280 kilojoule per mole of energy, where ATP releases just between 20 and 30 kilojoules. 
So it's, mm -hmm. it's massive difference. And yes. the other area where we produce energy from and depletion and deplete from is through the breakdown of the long chain fatty acids in our peroxisomes. And that gets then made into hydrogen peroxide. And then our mitochondria through catalase produce the chamber water from that. So there's all these other ways. And that's why this is so important. This is another paper that's in review and hopefully in, in the beginning of the year, this will be published, but it has very significant information in there that describes the very, very detailed calculations and processes by which this, why this works so well. Mm -hmm. uh, no, it's just fascinating. I mean, it's like all these continual unfolding of the story, you know, it's just so exciting to listen and just, you know, again, uh, continually to get inspired by these ideas and these concepts for patients and everyone who's listening. Dr. Patriot, tell us anything else that's on your heart as we wrap up and please share also where people can find you, how people can work with you, where people can learn from you, all of that good stuff. Yeah, so lots of things happening. We're working on a course and we've already got the outline and the curriculum written. The next process is trying to record all the lectures and get it in a coherent system and website and so forth, which will happen in the next several months. And in the meantime, I can be found at drpetrad.com. And I have a lot of information on the website as well um, to learn more about this and other resources that you can explore. So yeah, that, that's where it's going to go next. But yeah, every day we, we're discovering new pieces of the puzzle and it's so indeed very exciting. Well, thank you for your dedication and your passion for this topic. And yeah, really moving this field of medicine forward. I really appreciate both you and Dr. Boros's work. And, you know, it's thank you for keeping me up to date. It's very exciting. So thank you for all your work and being on the podcast today. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dr. Petra Davaler as we explore this emerging, exciting field of deutonomics. Please check out her website and all the information in the show notes. And I hope that you find this inspirational on your healing journey. And I really appreciate you being part of my podcast community. And thank you so much for learning alongside with me. Have a beautiful day.